I made it to like level, I don't even know, level nine. Mm-hmm. For the first four, level nine. Yeah. Okay. Enough <laughs> of <Not for> that. <laughs> I guess I'm ready. Okay. Cool. That sounds good. This is The Universe, Episode 6, How Much Would You Pay for the Universe, on Saturday, March 24th, 2012. And now, in ultra-super-high-definition retro-modern audio. Hi. How's it, how's it going? Pretty good. How about you? Good. I hear you're playing Angry Birds. I have been. In I space. Just, yep. Just downloaded it. It's pretty fun. Isn't that? Isn't it great? Yeah. I was never, uh, like, a big Angry Birds player, uh, like the original one, mm-hmm. but... Well, presumably this one will get old too, but I mean, it is pretty fun, you know, coming from the old kind of gameplay. Yeah, yeah, Defi- definitely. Definitely. Yeah. The, the new physics mm-hmm. are fun. Well, I was trying to think because I'm in a I'm in physics two, which is all about electromagnetism and magnetism stuff. Um, and I was trying to think of Angry Birds in magnets. Mm-hmm. And you know, and you, you know, like the right hand rule, how everything is like perpendicular and completely non-intuitive. Yeah. And imagine Angry Birds just oh, you shoot it in the that that you know, you shoot it in some direction, and it goes like to the right instead. That would be fun. That would be very annoying. So, I just got into like a wormhole. Did you know oh, that there's a wormhole? Yeah, holes? I have seen the wormholes, and and it takes you to some Mario esque place. Yeah. It's really mine, mine was. Love Galica, like you know. The... Oh, okay. Well, the one I was in was Mario esque, and it was um like you had to shoot bricks to make the pig come out, and then you had to shoot the pig, and you only get like two birds or something. Okay, mine was Galaga with bomb birds. It's pretty fun. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> bomb birds. Okay, so. So I I um, we didn't do a show last week. Let's see. And we didn't yeah. do a show week before that because we were both on spring break. Yep. And where were you on spring break? Well, I was in Hawaii enjoying the sun and surf. And taking incredibly great pictures with a real camera that has focusing capability. Yeah. No, it was great. I actually sort of had my own personal photographer. My friend Ryan came along and uh, he was... Uh, Essentially, acting photographer. That's, so that's where all those I mean, those pictures, those pictures were really, really great. And you know, I, I, I'm really spoiled now because, like, the pictures that we take as a family, they're all you know boring, you know, digital cameras. But you know, they're yeah. just like point and shoot, and they all look flat because they don't have yeah. like focusing ability. But like the pictures I see online because I do all the tech news stuff and I read all the blogs and stuff, everybody mm-hmm. takes professional pictures, and you know, your pictures look really great, and so most people on Facebook now have real, you know, cameras, so everything looks really great. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, <clears throat> he has a DSLR, mm-hmm. so... I could tell hang it was a DSLR. Him, yeah, hanging out with him and having him take great pictures makes me want to get one. I know, so. it, they, they are really, if if you don't have one, you don't know how bad your pictures have been up until this point. Right. I actually, um, I sort of got my hands on my dad's old SLR camera, mm-hmm. so been playing around with that a little bit which is fun but it's definitely like it's film right. so i can't see the pictures which is one of the huge benefits of the dslr you can see right. right well and and you don't have to pay a trillion dollars for development right yeah and and so i i've got i've used a few 
uh, of course, I've used them in stores, but I've used a few like outside of stores that people have had. And one of the things I've noticed is that on the little screen that they usually give you, you can't really tell how good the pictures are. But once you have that 4800 by 4800 pixel image on your monitor, like they look fantastic. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure Facebook hates it, though, when people upload all these high quality pictures. You know, oh, look, three megabytes for one picture. Great. Yeah, they have the high-res button now. Yeah, I've seen it. Putting pictures, but it's really broken mm. as far as, like, um, if you start uploading a set of pictures and then you click that, like, halfway through, it uploads the ones going forward just in high quality to begin with, but mm-hmm. then it has to go back and update the other ones. Right. And whenever I try and do it, I always get stuck trying to update the other ones. They'll, like, stop at 95% and just break. So, I don't know. Yeah. I uh, if I had a DSLR, the pictures of the studio would look so much better. It would mean it would look finished, it would look clean. There wouldn't be pop cans all over, just because I'm using a different camera. I mean, th- that's how good it is. Yeah. Yeah. So what did, what else did you do over spring break? Uh that was pretty much it. Just uh, was in Hawaii. Yeah, it's good. <clears throat> Must have been warm there. Yeah, it was really nice. Although I uh, hear that you guys had some crazy warm weather here too yeah yeah it was pretty pretty warm here too it was pretty much except for the rainy days it was pretty much always at least 70 or warmer wow now now the downside to that it was also quite humid like i have a humidity gauge here in the studio because of course electronic equipment hates humidity and currently it's 65 and that's a little bit more humid than climate would be preferring but during last week's spring break it pretty much always was at least 78 down here in the studio for humidity, and that's pretty bad. Yeah. That is the curse of living in the basement, I guess. <laughs> so over spring break, I was uh, I didn't read the Hunger Games book, series of books, but I listened to them with Audible. And uh, a few weeks ago, you asked me if I wanted to read them, and I, I don't know if I said yes, but I did. <laughs> yeah yeah right. that was when we talked about possibly doing like a book review segment mm-hmm. normally during yeah. the week i don't like i don't have a lot of time to listen yeah. to uh just i mean i don't have a lot of time to listen to books or read books because of school and stuff but uh over break i had some time and so you know those books are really really short they are like how many pages well on amazon it says the first book is 384 pages but you probably can figure like if the audible book was 11 hours and 48 minutes and oh, yeah. and I can read significantly faster than I can listen to things and I listened to the book in half that time because I was listening at 2x speed so I listened to it in 6 hours well I guess you can figure then that the books were really short yeah um and they were probably like a font 14 or something font 28 right. I don't know well they're they're also written at a fairly low reading level I think you know so I read them, uh, or I didn't read them, I listened to them, and I think that's okay because the point of view in the books are set from a first-person view of the main character, for the most part. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, for the most of the story, it's all from, like, Katniss's view, and I think that's okay because in the, in the setting of the books are very dystopian in some sense, and, and it seems like a lot of information that you assume somebody would have well, is withheld from them, I guess. So uh-huh. they don't have all of these 
pretty ways of saying things. So I thought I think they did a good job with even making uh, the lack of you know high level writing almost makes sense in this type of story. I don't know. I'm I'm not a fan of <clears throat> not high level writing. I, I don't know. I understand. I, but yeah. But it, well, it's it, I, it is a shame though that it was written for such a young audience because it could have benefited from more more of that. But it's okay. Yeah. It was okay. I lived through it. Yeah, I actually uh, just saw the movie on Friday. Yeah, and, and and you were smart, and you went during the school day when all the kids were away. Right. Yeah. No, and I, I, it was pretty good. I mean, like I think they did a good job uh, with the movie. That's good. So I haven't I haven't read the books, um, but I did hear quite a few people complain that they didn't know what was going on and so just if anybody were they complaining about the movie or the book the movie that's really weird yeah well so if anybody that's listening goes to see the movie and you haven't read the books and you're not very bright pay attention (laughs) to the first part of the movie where it explains what's going on now remember kids you should always bring the book to the movie theater so you can follow along (laughs) and then you can write your paper on it when you get back home right yeah exactly i don't know i i think um one of the from what i've seen from the uh movie clips because you know all week they had been showing stuff on good morning america and on the news and stuff one of the things i noticed is in the movie everything looks so clean and when I was listening to the books, and they, I mean, it, there was not a lot of detail about the setting, just you know, really minor things, and it was never like paragraphs and paragraphs of you know extraneous description like some books put in. Um, but it, oh, I always pictured the setting as a very dirty place, uh, and and everywhere from what I saw in the in the in the movie clips was that everything was really clean and really, you know, like a movie, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. That was that was I think the just the um, the capital like so they tried to do like a big sort of social inequality mm-hmm. thing and so like the capital where all the rich people were everything like that whole place was clean and all the people and the stuff from there was like they made it look all like Art Deco sort of retro modern right and everything retro from modern. districts where <laughs> I made that up. I, um, I I like it though. Everything from the districts where like Katniss was from, right. uh, was very like Dust Bowl. Like mm-hmm. I, I that word or I read that word used. Thought it was very fitting. Um, sort of describe that. I, so. that. I don't know where I read it either, but I think it was at the at the end of the last book. Um, the author who who was the author again? I don't know. Shannon uh, something? Suzanne Collins. Oh, okay. Suzanne Collins. I think Shannon something was the person who narrated the book in my audio section. But um, they, they, um, the, the author put in like a like a, an afterword or, I don't know, something so that, you know, she could have some of her own writing in it, I guess. So she kind of like, she explains why, how she got the idea. She got the idea from like flipping through TV channels of, and presumably she was totally like, she doesn't say what she was watching Presumably, it was like a rerun of some Survivor episode, and then news coverage on Iraq, because like Survivor makes perfect sense with the Hunger Games, I think. Um, mm-hmm. But she, she 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 says that she was watching reality TV, and then talk you know some documentary or news about Iraq, and she kind of was tired, and she kind of blurred the two together, and she got an idea for the story, I guess. Um, and I think that was an interesting way to get a, an idea, but yeah. 
Yeah. Sorry if I'm distracted. I'm trying to hit this thing in Angry Birds. <laughs> you know, Angry Birds is very addictive when the new space one. Oh, it is. Oh it's man, it, it is so good. I heard I heard you were having some uh, trouble connecting to the uh, internet there with that Wi-Fi Kindle Fire. Yeah, I don't I don't know. The stupid school Wi-Fi is ter- like my devices won't connect, and then like when they do connect, they won't. You have to like get through a password page, mm-hmm. but it won't load the password page like it's supposed to. Oh yeah, and then it's, uh, it's terrible. You know, you know, you know what I'm gonna blame it on? I'm gonna blame it on X500, which I called X11 earlier by mistake. But that's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's their fault for not making it a descriptive name. Right. And for putting an X in front of it. I mean, everything has an X in front of it. Doesn't it? OS ten X. You know, that's at the end. Whatever. But, right. you know, everything has an X. Um, but X500, I think, is the problem that most of the campus internet struggles with. Because uh, the problem is, for most devices, they can support the X500 login naturally. But for some reason... When you try to like, do you use UMN Secure or do you use UMN like? I just blank? Use the regular. Okay, so if you use UMN Secure, your connection will be even worse. Just so you know. <laughs> yeah, I, I've never. I thought you had to have a password for Secure. It's it's the same thing. It's your X five hundred logins. You know, your username and password. Oh no, but I I like when I I remember probably not just not remembering right, but um the. It prompts you for like a WPA key when you're trying to. Oh, does it? Because when I when Maybe I'm something else. Yeah, because no. when I do it and on the on the East Bank, it works fine. Uh, it just is horrible for connecting, and yeah. so on my phone, I always use the you know the the regular one where you get that password page and you have to enter your username in and your password, and that works okay. But, you know, every every once in a while, you have to go back into your browser to re-enable Wi-Fi for your phone, and then you can go check your email. Because, I don't know, like, the solution doesn't work, and X500 is the problem. I don't know. Wi-Fi should just be open for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, they do have, like, a guest connection, too. And that sucks even worse. Yeah, but, I mean, why have one for non-guests and one for guests? Then they're both free. Yeah, have, have everything just be free. Right. More free. Hmm, let's see here. Um, you sent me this TED video earlier, which I only got through five minutes and nine seconds of. What's this even about? Something about more human data than ever before. Um. Well, so there's a, there's a guy, I don't know how to pronounce his name, maybe Jer, Jer. Yeah, let's go with Jer, that. Jer Thorpe um, is a programmer slash artist slash designer, I guess who has done a lot of just sort of like personal design projects where he takes large sets of data and tries like turns them into visualizations that some are interactive, some are not. Um, and his, and he's like done a lot of these and recently he's been trying to put the data into a more human context. So, so like one of the things he did was um, mapping sort of the spread of a link on Twitter mm-hmm. uh, to see how like how that person or how that link gets from person A to person B through like intermediary people and stuff like that. Um, or uh, he was talking at the end about uh, looking at the like the human or sort of the 
I guess, where the numbers come from and what they mean instead of just looking at the numbers like statisticians do. Right. So, like, I guess that would be sort of a sociological look at the statistics, which is, like, a field, but, um, like, there was a, um, where there was, like, that sort of surprising thing where Apple was, like, collecting location data, Mm -hmm. but not really that surprising, but people were surprised. And um, sort of, like, offended, I guess. I don't know. Well, I remember when that happened. I think it was sometime last year. Uh, And essentially what happened was Apple, they weren't collecting it for, like, any particular reason. But what they were doing was whenever you were in a area, it would take down the cell towers, essentially, that you were nearby. The cell towers that you were connecting to. And he would use that data to try to figure out where you were. If, for some reason, you suddenly enabled the location data tracking thing, you know, for like, where, you know, like in an app, where am I? You know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So if it didn't have a GPS connection or if you didn't turn on 3G or whatever, it could still try to figure out and guess in a general area where you were. And so the, that thing was stored in an unencrypted manner on the on those phones. So that that's what happened for that. I'm I'm looking through the comments on this uh, video, this TED video, and, and, I, and I agree with some of some of them. Like history is getting really dense. You know, like when we talk about World War II, that happened what ninety years ago now? No, not really. Um, what is that? Seventy years ago ish. Uh, World War II. Like we know what happened, and we know the big events that happened in it. But you know, like detailed recounts and very specific information is pretty much lost at this point. And a lot of speculation goes on in textbooks and things because we just have to guess and piece things together. But now we have the ability to record data continuously in very, very detailed. So now history is going to be like that too, where we'll have incredibly accurate and very broad uh, senses of how things happened and what th- people thought and how people reacted. So I think that's yeah. an interesting way to look at history too. Mm-hmm. And at the beginning of the video, they talked about HyperCard and they talked about they sh- he showed a picture of a guy that nobody knows of. Let's see where? Yeah, he? I don't even remember his name. John Atkinson and um, and so nobody knows who Atkinson is because um, if you had read the Steve Jobs biography, you would have heard of him. Because he was in the book all over the place. But the problem is, the book was in words. And they never show a picture of him at all, ever. So, when when this guy asks, So, who's the guy on the left? Or on the right? Nobody knows. But when you say his name, everybody knows who he is. Because he's the guy who made HyperCard. But he's really the guy... Like, he made HyperCard because um, Steve Jobs was not happy with the original calculator application that he built. So what Atkinson did was he built a method for Steve to drag around, you know, the little calculator buttons and to adjust borders and stuff. So he essentially made what is essentially Visual Studio 20 years ago. And so it it was pretty cool. So then Steve took 10 minutes to build his calculator application and and Steve loved it. And then they made HyperCard out of the framework that he made for that. So it was pretty cool. Cool. Yeah. HyperCard is so sadly gone now, and the dream of having everybody ma- able to make their own application for what they want is also gone too. Yeah. 
Well, maybe somebody will make a new version. I doubt it. I don't. I don't know. I think. I think as a programmer, I don't want. Like, I mean, it's not. It's not like you can program anything. It's a very specific UI kind of driven thing. So you get to make your own buttons, and then you kind of get to program what they do, but not really. Yeah. Yeah. It's very basic, but it's still pretty handy. So in the news, I heard there was a spy at NASA. Sort of. Sort of. Hmm. Want to tell us about was, that? Yeah. I was pretty thrown off by the title of this article. Although, actually, I read I read the same thing somewhere else. But this article, this specific one in the show notes, is uh, a link to an article on Bloomberg Business Week. Which you think um, would be a very reliable source, but eh. Right. Well, I mean, I think it is. It's just the the title of the article is misleading, I think. I, it says... They um, do that a lot. X, right. It says ex-NASA scientist... It's New York. What? It's New York, after all. Oh, yeah. Um, it says ex-NASA scientist Nozette gets 13-year term in spying case. So you read that and you think, oh, some NASA scientist was actually like a foreign spy. spy right. Something. That's what I thought and, when I was beginning to read it. Right. And then you read the article... And it's like, oh, well, he wasn't actually. He was just a guy who got uh, nailed on some, like, tax evasion fraud and stuff right. and had to pay a bunch of money. And then while they were investigating that, they noticed that he also had fairly high clearance and some top-secret documents in his, like, personal data. Mm-hmm. And so then they decided to pose as some foreign country trying to buy data. And after they convinced him to sell his like secret data to this undercover agent then they like nailed him as a spy so it's kind of like he wasn't like seeking out people to sell this stuff to the u.s government just like posed as somebody and asked isn't, him isn't there isn't that called something i'm sure that's it's called like entrap in, like entrap entrapment or something maybe i don't i don't know like but it's kind of yeah. i don't know seems odd to me not only how it was portrayed, but like just that they. Okay, so I did look it up. In criminal law, entrapment is con- is conduct by a law enforcement agent inducing a person to commit a an offense that the person would have other been un- unlikely to commit. Uh, so I think that sounds very entrapment esque. Right. I mean, so if he wasn't like you know, hey, anybody want to buy some foreign data? Um, yeah, I, and I, mean, I don't. Yeah. I don't think he was, but I mean, like, I don't know. I don't really know, but right. just that sounds kind of ridiculous. So you're not really a spy unless you're doing it actively. Yeah, that's the, or yeah, that's what I would say. Although it does say, like, uh, down at the bottom, like, four minutes is all it takes to show that he agreed to be a traitor against the United States with a smile on his face and an unbridled enthusiasm. That That's just funny. I don't know. Poor NASA. They don't have any money mm-hmm. or any employees. And so, you know, I think they're going to replace their their employees with robot jellyfish now. So there's these jellyfish that are powered by hydrogen. So I guess they were, yeah. they were um, I don't know, made by Virginia Tech in the University of Texas. Um, but I don't, I don't really know what they do, but the, this robot jellyfish propels itself and, you know, it essentially acts like a jellyfish and it's kind of cool. You wouldn't think that making a jellyfish was that complicated since it's, you know, just a, doesn't really do a lot. But I yeah. think that's why it's kind of interesting. Right. I think, well, the the whole, like, the movement of a jellyfish is very, like, natural. Like, the membrane sort of flows in a very natural way. Right. The bell 
sort of like mm-hmm. I don't know, squeezes and stuff. Um, and uh, so that swimming motion is, uh, I guess, not hard to mimic. But the way that they did it using uh, the hydrogen fuel arrangement is interesting specifically because in like an underwater vehicle, if they could find out a way to extract that hydrogen fuel from the water it was moving through, they would have essentially like a machine that could go forever. Right. Itself off of the medium it was traveling through. And it's just Which, such such a weird animal too. I don't know. Yeah. Toppy. Jellyfish. What do, what do you think about jellyfish in general? <laughs> I think that they're cool. I think the, so too. There was that one. Uh, there was that one picture that circulated for a while of like a guy and then a, a diver and then a giant jellyfish. I don't know if you saw that, but it was like so. it made the jellyfish look like it was like thirty feet across. Oh, and uh, turned out to be photoshopped, which I figured because there was like no record of that big of a jellyfish ever existing. But really cool picture, and there are jellyfish that are really big, mm-hmm. like three meters across or something, I think. But. I'll, I'll, I'll put They're in the show. I, I don't have a picture of that particular one, but I do have a picture of, of a jellyfish that is uh, quite quite fun. So I'll, I'll put that into the show notes. <laughs> if I, if I didn't have if I had a you know a real computer, I would uh, show you. But uh, there, I, it's in the show notes under the robot jellyfish section. If you want to click on that one, it's pretty funny. That's great. <laughs> So a few weeks ago, Matt and I had a little competition on the uh, at, at the Nexus podcast, and the competition was to take a picture of Steve Jobs' um, biography cover uh, with yourself in it instead. And Matt edited Ian Buck's uh, submission to have some jellyfish, I guess. That's great. <laughs> uh, it's so bad. I don't know. Yeah, so let's see. What else do we have here? We have Einstein's life. Uh, his paperwork is now online. So his his collection of, I don't, know, I don't know, documentation, I guess, is now all online for everybody to read. And you were telling well, me how you were re- reading um, Newton's papers? Yeah, so the this is, uh, they're working on getting it all online. They have, I think, like 7,000 documents so far. Um, um, oh yeah, eighty thousand. Okay, eighty thousand. Yeah. So they're but they're working on it. And this project, the digitization project, is being funded by uh, the this foundation, the Polonsky Foundation. I don't really know. Try to Google them. There's no Wikipedia page, so I got. They don't it. exist. Um, they paid as well to, or they helped pay um, as well to digitize Isaac Newton's papers, um, which I have actually read some of so that that's pretty cool i mean obviously isaac newton's stuff was written not in english right but um so what do you think the value of having the einstein paperwork online is or just in general what is what does that do for people um well i guess the fact that it's not just his scientific papers there's also all of his letters correspondence with other scientists and like love letters and stuff it appears that there's even fan mail included with it which is pretty funny that is funny um but it's definitely going to give people more of an insight into who he was as a person as far as all the personal documents you know and also it's funny because funny you say you know insight onto it you know more about him because in every documentary i've ever seen about einstein they always introduce him as Oh, he was a patent clerk. 
And it's like, so? Yeah. And I, I, I don't know. I just, I'm angry. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I'm, I mean, the article mentions uh, uh, one one of the people working on the project uh, saying that he hopes it'll sort of debunk some of the popular myths about Einstein, mm-hmm. like that he got poor grades in school and stuff like that. Um, and I thought that was interesting. I don't know. I, I, guess. Th- I, I think a lot of college students hope it's true. <laughs> yeah. Because that, um, that justifies what they're that 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 justifies a lot of things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't know. And having his all of his research available to the public, I don't know. I mean, I I think it's definitely interesting um, to look at, and I don't know, just see how what he did exactly. It's like you you see, oh, e equals mc squared, general theory of relativity, and that's pretty much all people know, and nobody knows what it means. Right. Well, I'd say that nobody knows what it means. But I can pretty much walk up to any normal person on the street and ask, "What does the E and EMC squared mean?" And they won't have a clue. Yeah, but okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Isn't that sad? But it's true. Yeah. Uh. Well, but I mean, as far as like some of the mathematics he did, um, and his like personal notes and stuff. I think mm-hmm. That'd be interesting because he wasn't like a superb mathematician, right. really. Um, he was a good theorist, and I don't know, just be interesting. Um, and also probably provide some people with access to it that wouldn't have had that access otherwise. Like you would have to go so, there. Yeah. So, so those documents are uh, stored at the where are they stored again? Uh, the University Jewish. of. Hebrew, the Hebrew University of Jerusalem. So you right. presumably would have to go there and then ask for permission to see them. I imagine that's how it works. Um, and then they they may or may not let you do it, but I probably I'm guessing they would. But I think this also might help with like um, historical historical documentation too, like documentaries and things going forward. Because mm-hmm. um, I, I mentioned the Steve Jobs biography, but so like I don't know. I'm sure there's. T- hundreds and thousands of biographies about Einstein at this point. But one of the things we, we, we know that Steve Jobs left a lot of information buried, you know, for, you know, the future generations to unveil. And we we don't know everything, obviously, but, you know, someday if Steve Jobs, you know, paperwork filing cabinet or whatever it was put online for everybody to read his, the biography that we have now would look completely blank compared to what you might have if you had access to a lot more data. Right. So that's good. So I also heard there were some planets being flung away. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't really understand what was going on. That's not really, that's very misleading. I, that's what I thought too. Um, but, and that's what you get when you read stuff from the Christian science monitor. (laughs) Um, well, so like the main, like the, the point of this article was just the, um, the new discover or the new theory sort of behind how or rather why gas giants are generally located at a specific distance from their home star. Um, and so like in the planetary search with like the Kepler satellite and stuff, we found a lot of gas giants orbiting at pretty fairly close range like about the distance um that earth is orbiting the sun mm-hmm. and this seems odd because our gas giants are much further out um but 
these researchers have come up with a reason why this is the case, um, which is that when the star is forming, there's like a protoplanetary disk of dust and small rocks and right. stuff like that um, orbiting around the star. And these gas giants get pulled, and so the gravitational influence from the star slowly pulls that disk towards the star, and these gas giants get sort of swept along with that. Um, and so they are pulled towards the center, and then once they reach a point where that protoplanetary disk has been blown away by like the stellar wind, um, which is like sort of radiate, radiant energy from the star, then they're no longer being like pushed along sort of towards the mm-hmm. towards the star, and so they end up orbiting at or near that distance. So this article is from the Register, and that it's and I'm reading it as you're talking about it, and it says the two bond fins confirm their theory. What is a bond fin? Boffin? I, I don't know. Uh, a boffin. Two the two boffins. <laughs> I have no idea. A boffin is a British word for scientist. Mmm. Is it really? I I don't, I don't think I'm going to be reading the register anymore. No, it is. Well, that's. It would have been better just to write the word scientist. There, it's it's a UK thing. Right? I don't I don't know if I care. It's not good enough. <laughs> you know, as far as I know, the two birds confirmed their theory. Mm-hmm. Two birds. Yeah, like um, a puffin, boffin. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah. Um, so I yeah. think we should get to the uh, to the good stuff here, which would be this video from Neil deGrasse Tyson, my favorite person. Yes. So this this video. What do you, what do you want to say about the video before we play it? Um. Well, this is probably Neil deGrasse Tyson at his best. Sort of a compilation of inspiring things that he said set to inspiring footage and inspiring music or sometimes um i don't know i think it's, it's a well well put together compilation very much in the spirit of what he stands for and what he's advocating for um and very white spaced okay sorry i don't know what i was doing that's fine um and uh very like relevant to the current political situation surrounding NASA um, and the space exploration budget. Mm-hmm. And anybody who's listening should watch it because it's very good. So we'll we'll play a, we'll play at like, least a couple minutes of it, but you can find the full video in uh, on the, in the full show notes. But also, um, it does say that this is episode one. So is he going to make more of these? Probably. Well, this is. I don't think this is Neil. This is uh, somebody else making this. Um, I think it's part of, uh, there's a link, uh, at, on that YouTube video mm-hmm. to, Penny uh, for org, which this is a, a term that Neil deGrasse Tyson coined, um, which is his, his, he says that, and this is true, that NASA's budget right now is about, um, four tenths of one, percent? one cent a tax dollar. Mm-hmm. So that's 0.4% of the tax, the total tax budget is going towards NASA. Which is effectively and, none. Right. And so if we increase that to even just a penny on the dollar, 1% of the tax budget, um, that we could do so much more than what we are right now. Right. Um, 
And so that's where this this sort of movement's name is coming from. They have a position a petition rather on change.org. Um, which you should all sign because it's kind of sad. It's only like 3,000 people. Uh, I do have one disclaimer. When you do sign up for something on change.org, do not use your actual email address, lest you be onslaughted by billions of emails by them because that's all they do. And if you try to unsubscribe, good luck because you won't be able to. <laughs> okay, okay. Let's, well, let's, let's play the video. Yes. Here's what happened. In the 1960s, we were at war with the Soviet Union, the Cold War and a little bit of hot war over in Southeast Asia. So, we, are, we fear them because they put up Sputnik, which, by the way, people forget, was an emptied-out casing of an intercontinental ballistic missile. And Sputnik it, it, it itself means fellow traveler, so it's all peaceful, but it was a, a ballistic missile hit without explosives. So that was a signal, and we freaked in America. So NASA got founded on the fear factor of Sputnik. All right, so... We then go to the moon on the fear factor that Russia will control high ground. Then we go to the moon. Space enthusiasts say, oh, we're on the moon by 69. We'll be on Mars in another 10 years. They completely did not understand why we got to the moon in the first place. We were at war. Once we saw that Russia was not ready to land on the moon, we stopped going to the moon. That, that, that should not surprise anybody looking back on it. Meanwhile, however, that entire era galvanize the nation. Forget the war driver. It galvanizes us all to dream about tomorrow, to think about the, the homes of tomorrow, cities of tomorrow, the food of tomorrow. Everything was future world, future land. The world's fair. All of this was focused on enabling people to make tomorrow come. That was a, that, that was a cultural mindset the space program brought upon us. And we reaped the benefits of economic growth because you had people wanting to become scientists and engineers who are the people who enable tomorrow to exist today. And even if you're not a scientist or technologist, you will value that activity. And that, in the 21st century, are the foundations of tomorrow's economies. And without it, we might as well just slide back to the cave, because that's where we're headed right now, broke. I'm tired of saying this, but I'll have to say it again. The NASA budget is four-tenths of one penny on a tax dollar. If I held up the tax dollar and I cut horizontally into it four-tenths of one percent of its width, it doesn't even get you into the ink. So I will not accept a statement that says we can't afford it. Do you realize that the $850 billion bank bailout, that sum of money, is greater than the entire 50-year running budget of NASA. And so when someone says, we don't have enough money for this space program, I'm asking, no, it's not that you don't have enough money. It's that the distribution of money that you're spending is warped in some way that you are removing the only thing that gives people something to dream about tomorrow. The, the, the home of tomorrow, the city of tomorrow, transportation of tomorrow, all that ended. In the, in, in the 1970s, after we stopped going to the moon, it all ended. We stopped dreaming. And so I worry that decisions that Congress makes doesn't factor in the consequences of those decisions on tomorrow. They're playing for the quarterly report. They're playing for the next election cycle. And that is mortgaging the actual future of this nation. Tomorrow's gone.
if you double NASA's budget right now to half a penny on a dollar, make it a penny. Go ahead, make it a penny. Go ahead, be bold. That would be enough to go to Mars soon with people and go to, back to the moon and on to asteroids. NASA, as best as I can judge, is a force of nature like none other. And so what worries me is that if you take away the man program, a program which if you advance frontiers, you make heroes are made. There's a force operating on the educational pipeline that will stimulate the formation of scientists, engineers, mathematicians, and technologists. You birth these people into society. They are the ones that make tomorrow come. A half a penny. That buys the space station, the space shuttles, all the NASA centers, the rovers, the Hubble telescope, all the astronauts, all of that. Nobody's dreaming about tomorrow anymore. The most powerful agency on the dreams of a nation is currently underfunded to do what it needs to be doing. And that's making dreams come true. How much would you pay for the universe? You know, I was a I thought about this earlier. I know that we've discussed Neil before, or we've mentioned him, um, and I've heard people compare him to Carl Sagan, and I've also heard a lot of people say that he's not Carl Sagan. And I think that I just wanted to... I mean, I, I think that he he is very much like Carl Sagan um, as far as what he's doing, but he is... Uh, more he's like a Carl Sagan for the current political climate and that's what I was thinking he's, too because yeah, I, I he's feel, much more active yeah, in definitely trying to change what's what's happening right now because there's more of a need for it when, yeah, in the in the video in the part when Tyson is talking about you know cutting into a dollar bill and it wouldn't even get you to the ink you can tell mm-hmm. that was like at a rally and you can hear the people in the background you know right. screaming and cheering I can't imagine um carl sagan ever talking like that you know well and yeah but that's what we need i mean absolutely really that was that was probably one of the most moving parts of that whole thing Mm -hmm. i think definitely Uh, and so when carl sagan was doing his version sort of of science advocacy it was uh, in an era where we still had some of the aftermath of the apollo programs the moon landing um, and things like that. And so there wasn't the same need. There wasn't a sense of urgency that this is all right. going to end soon. Right. For somebody to really step up and there wasn't, I guess, the same danger that there is now right. of losing mm-hmm. that. Yeah. So I think this I think this video does a great job at at least at least it does a great job at rallying the idea that NASA isn't just about space and science. It's about it's more than that. It, it's about, I don't want to say dreams because that sounds so cliched and terrible, but it is in some sense mm-hmm. that, you know, I, I remember like when you're a kid, you like, oh, I want to be an astronaut. And, you know, people think about space, you know, it's, it's fascinating and it's cool. And, you know, there's all there's all sorts of stories about people who get into NASA and it's like, you know, I always wanted to do this since I saw something take off when I was seven or something. Right. And, you know, without NASA, that can't happen. But I, but even thinking about all the technology NASA develops 
you know, to do its own programs, that technology is released back into the market and then, you know, third parties take it over. And, you know, it's not just going into space. I mean, there's so much that NASA does in general. Right. Yeah, no, I mean, that's just one of the many reasons why this is a big deal now. And it's I was just briefly browsing through um, the YouTube comments, and it's this is one of the few times where I haven't seen any trolls on the YouTube comments. You, have people, you just regained faith in humanity? Is that what you're saying? A little bit. Oh, little man. Bit. That's, I'm impressed. I mean, they're all people supporting what Neil is saying, and so I think that that's, that's great um, to see that. Mm-hmm. I, I wonder. I, I wonder. I, I, I don't know. Um, I, I wonder how a normal person, somebody who's not like necessarily invested or deeply interested in science and progression of humanity would feel about this video. Uh, I, I feel like they would be moved for 30 seconds and then forget about it. Forget about it. Right. Well, I think, and that's, I think that's a problem. I think that that's, that's one of the things that NASA does is make people care about this type of thing. Right. Um, well, I, I don't know if NASA did that. I think, I think the political climate of the day when NASA was used as a tool to care about something, that's when it was, you know, NASA was the figurehead of, you know, the anti-propaganda that we used here in America to support ourselves. And I don't know if NASA is necessarily the one that's responsible for keeping its image intact and unimpoverished, maybe? I don't know. Well, yeah, I mean, the... The whole what I what I was saying about people caring is when you grow up hearing about these things and when you see the shuttle launches on TV and when you see the moon landing footage when you're a kid that's that sort of becomes something that you experience like you experience that part of history and so right. I think that, that that is something that NASA does that makes people care. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess that's that's what I was saying. Like I, I was lucky enough to go to an elementary school that had a sort of a program where we would hear about these things and sort of actively follow that that type of thing. So we followed the all the probes, the Sojourner probe, the Challenger, right. like the furs and stuff and everything like that. And that's I that I'd have to say that that's one of the big reasons that I like science and care about it so much now so i i think that i mean nasa doing more more things that people would hear about like the rovers i mean people heard about them sort of but the it was, only reason it, it, it was so like unemphasized that it stopped mattering as soon as it once they got there and then they worked nobody heard from them again right well yeah. and and so that's like the the human exploration factor that is mentioned in that video um, is uh, it, that's another reason why that's so important. Um, people people like hearing uh, stories about people. They don't really care about hearing stories about rovers, right? And it well, and it's it's not even that people don't care so much. It's that that doesn't make good news. That's true. So definitely don't hear about it. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, but yeah. Anyways, everybody needs to do something. I don't know. They, we need to get taxed by NASA, I guess. Right. Uh, yeah, so I, I mean, when people, when you say the word tax and then you say the word NASA in the same sentence, most people's reaction isn't like, oh yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, what do you think, 
we can do like what do you think nasa can do or what what can anyone do about the lack of i don't know money going in i mean it's not as if it's on anybody's you know agenda in congress or in the president's seat or anywhere and that's that's what neil is trying to do is he's trying to put it on the agenda because it should be should be an issue that people talk about so um, uh, i don't know if i don't remember what week this was but i'm sure you've seen some of that coney 2012 stuff oh god yeah so do you think some kind of super viral marketing thing like that would help with this type of situation well i think that the semi-viral stuff that neil has been doing has has or will does have an effect um there but it seems like people who already care about it already know that NASA has no money, and they're already supporters of NASA anyway. Right. And so- well, and that's there was a video that went around recently of uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson saying what um, what he thinks is the most astounding fact in the universe, and really that it's sort of it was already said by Carl Sagan, um, but Neil is the new the new public figure, and so. There's a video of him talking about how um, we're all stardust is the way Carl Sagan put it. And he, he says it a little bit differently. But um, and that went I mean, I saw that on Facebook from people that aren't in the sciences or anything. OK, um, people posting and sharing that. And so so I think that that sort of spread of the idea is is working and helping some. Um, yeah. Well, I, I we, we in my journalism class, I'm also among other all of the other sciences I'm a part of. I'm also taking a journalism class, and we talked about Coney 2012, and we talked about how its viral effect um, went really fast on Facebook, and then you know it, it hit a point where it just stopped. And you know, I, I think I don't I don't I, one of the things we talked about was at some point. We want. We wondered why or if it would make any difference in the long run. So, we 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 came to the conclusion that it probably would entice. You know, people would remember that they saw this 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 campaign of helping people and you know how how you know bad some person so and so was, and maybe some other point in their life they would become an activist in some other method, and I think with supporting NASA, it's like that too. If you support NASA, you also implicitly support other forward-facing things too. So I think as a country, we need to get to the point where the majority of people want to make everything better, not necessarily directly, but implicitly. And I think as a country, we don't feel like that continuously or as a majority. Yeah. Yeah. And that, in that situation, yeah. I mean, I don't know that the wanting to make everything like better is like for, as far as the space exploration. I don't know. Right. That would make but I mean, that's that's simple. what NASA's done implicitly. Yeah, I mean, but that's that's not what will get people to be more active in trying to preserve that institution. No, that's but not... no, but I think I think it's but the, I think it's a lack of understanding then. So. See, I don't see NASA as just a space organization or anything because that's fairly like removed from my life. But I see them as a technology technology provider. I see them as an information provider. 
and I think a lot of people just don't they don't incorporate any of that into their lives and they really don't want to know. Like they actively try not to know. And I think that active trying of to not know things needs to stop before we can get further along. Yeah. Well, look at that. We're at uh, 59 minutes. Is that a good place to stop then? Tom, it's up to you. Do you have anything else? Um, that excellent picture of Neil deGrasse Tyson. Isn't that, isn't, isn't, isn't that great? <laughs> so in the show notes, uh, um, I have a picture of Neil deGrasse Tyson from, what, 1980? And mm-hmm. he has a, a, not a huge fro, but a pretty big fro and he has really great sunglasses and he has kind of a, uh, I don't know, a face wide mustache kind of thing going on. And he has a shirt and he's all buff and with a, you know, he's, it's just a great picture of (laughs) Neil deGrasse Tyson. And this, this picture should hopefully make it clear that even if you are a scientist, you don't, you weren't always a scientist. So you can start somewhere and work your way up. Well, I mean, I yeah, he was. I, I mean, he was always a scientist, but the I think that this picture is just like is it's on uh, geeksaresexy.net, so it's just like um, he's it's not. This he's isn't not in a like suit, some, right? Well, this isn't some like issue for like some nerd subculture. This is real like regular people and an important issue that affects everybody and. Regardless of whether you are a buff astrophysicist or some person who he looks like he's on the on the football team. I mean, yeah, yeah. Right. So it, I don't know. I just think that that's interesting. Right, I think so too. That's why I included it in the show notes. It, it's a picture that's worth seeing, just as much as the video is. So, Sam, do you have any uh, anything else? Uh, no, I think that's it. I think that's, uh, good. Uh, so, uh, where can, uh, people find you on the internet? Uh, you can follow me at Sam Eberts on Twitter, or I have a blog that still hasn't been updated for a long time. Maybe you can post some of your, uh, maybe you can post a, a really great picture of your Hawaiian travels on your blog and make some scientific reference to the arc tangent of a wave, or maybe the sand density of a beach or i don't know something i'm sure you can work on that yeah (laughs) so uh what what uh what what plans do you have going in for the rest of the semester you have any 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 big things i I heard you got hired by the u university for research or something uh, in some Um, some yeah i have a a research type thing going on um doing some programming using the root framework for C++. And, and so you've been showing me some really cool graphs with it. Um, yeah, so the the first thing that I figured out how to do was to make a graph. And so I sent Ryan a screenshot. Um, are we, do we have that set up? No, we, we don't, but we're, we're working on it. Yeah. And so the graph was of sine x over x, and you know, it's, it's, it's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. To, to actually be able to make pictures in C++, oh, that's the dream. So what is your job about, Sam? Like, what what, is, what, is, what do you do? Um, well, I don't really know. So far, I know that I'm just supposed to figure out how to use the root framework and do some basic physics analysis. Sounds um, good. And there's this 
true time GPS uh, synchroniza- time synchronization device. Sounds complicated. Essentially, it's just a box that syncs GPS timing with atomic clock timing, mm. and I have to figure out how it works. Well, that sounds like a challenge that you can face. I hope so. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure you can do it. And if you need help, Nate will help you. Right. Because, you know, he can just solve integrals in eight dimensions instantaneously. Yep. Yes, and of course, you can find me, Ryan Rapperset, all over the place on the internet. I'm on Twitter at RyanMR. You can find my blog by Googling Ryan Rapperset. And of course, I am here at the Nexus. And this show is the universe. We do this usually on Saturdays when we're not on break and not too sleepy to actually do it. And the show is all about science. We talk about science news and usually some great discussion on why NASA actually needs to do some work and how we need to pay for it. And now we are all going to return to playing Angry Birds in Space, and I will leave you with the opening music of that. And have a good one.